to the word of the Lord, guys. Let's open with prayer. I mean, love God's word tonight. So I'm continuing in a series on faith. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing. And the reason why I did this series to begin with was that the Lord gave me a dream. And sometimes he'll speak to me that way. And not, he hasn't done that a whole lot. But in this particular dream, I was preaching and there was somebody I really thought would understand faith, but they seemed super confused but the more I kept preaching and kept preaching they were looking at me really confused but eventually they were like oh I understand you know and I and when I woke up from the dream I felt the Lord saying to me you need to start preaching on this subject because there's there's a lot of people that think that they understand faith but they don't and it's not their fault they just for whatever reason haven't been taught or whatever so let's open with prayer Lord I thank you for your word tonight I thank you for an open heaven, your glory here, Holy Spirit, as you come to anoint and empower this time right now, the anointing of the Lord present, that even now the Holy Spirit is moving upon the people uh, to give the Lord good soil, uh, or rather in their hearts and minds and lives to be good soil for the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord. I thank you, Lord, even now that you speak through me, your living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. We bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word. It goes now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for the winds of your spirit carrying this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to. And everything will be accomplished in and through this time. Everything said, that's God's will to be done. We thank you for it. The word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we agree together. Now, we're looking tonight, though, at a battleground. So the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 12, fight the good fight of faith. And so let me just, that's basically where I'm going with this tonight is the fight. You know, we do a lot of fighting against the enemy. And I understand all of that. But much of the battleground really is in the realm of faith. Because you can tell the enemy in Jesus' name to leave, and he's supposed to go. But how many knows that everything has to be done by faith? So you have to command the enemy to back off or whatever, but there has to be an element of faith in that, that, for example, submit unto God, resist the devil, he will flee. You have to stand within yourself that you know that you have authority over the enemy, and the enemy has to back off. You understand? So you, it's not keeping on and on per se so much as it is faith in the word of god faith in what the bible says the authority that we have etc and so that's just one example but i'm going to talk about the battleground tonight the great enemies of faith are this ready doubt fear and unbelief so that's why the bible says if you'll believe in your heart and not doubt see that's the problem right there Believe in your heart and not doubt. Now, here's where people are going to mistake something. The Bible isn't necessarily talking about having some doubts and wrestling in your mind so much as in your heart. There, you can have heart faith and your mind still be nervous about what's going on and you're dealing, you're wrestling with thoughts, you're wrestling with emotions. That's in the soulish realm. But your heart can be anchored in faith. 
So it, it, does this make sense? So even if your mind is dealing with some fears or confusion or whatever, you kind of do your best to ignore that, but you have a heart faith. So the Bible says you believe in your heart and not doubt. It's talking about in your heart area. It's talking about your spirit. And then also fear. Fear is a great enemy to faith and unbelief. Now, unbelief is something altogether different than doubt. So unbelief is something that really is a sin, and it's something that seems to anger the Lord. And let me explain what I mean by that. So when Jesus was ministering on the earth in great signs and wonders, do you remember he rebuked a few places because he said, if the miracles that had been done here had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But you were basically you refused to believe. So see, unbelief is where they've even seen miracles and God's really moved in their life and maybe God's touched them and different things have happened that they've seen, they've heard, They've experienced, yet they still refuse to believe. That's unbelief. And how many knows at the end of the day, that's sin. So unbelief is one thing, but doubt is just where you're struggling with it. God can work with doubt, but I don't know how much the Lord is going to tolerate just flat out unbelief. All right, so here's a couple things. <clears throat> Now, when you're fighting the good fight of faith, do you remember that Jesus, when he went in to, to raise that girl from the dead, what did he do? He got rid of everybody out of the room except just a few people. And if I remember right, Peter, James, and John maybe. But he had just a couple people that he knew that would agree with him and have faith. So faith was very important. Jesus talked about in one place that he marveled at their lack of faith, and it hindered everything that God the Father really wanted to do there, except a few sick people get healed, but there could have been much more happen. But it, it was the fact of their, un, their unbelief and their lack of faith in the Lord and what he was doing. So you kind of have to be careful about being around the wrong people. Because I've seen this. Now, when I say I've seen this, I'm not saying this just uh, flippantly. I've sat there and watched this happen where somebody talks about how God healed them from something and, and they've stepped out in faith and they're excited about it. And I have seen, I've sat there and watched this happen where other people around them say, now, now wait a second. And these, these are professing Christians and literally talk them right out of their miracle. I've seen it. And then that person moved out of the realm of faith because these people are talking fear and unbelief and they moved out of faith. It's kind of like when Peter stepped out of the boat on the water, he's looking at the Lord, he's walking on the word of the Lord by faith. When Jesus said, come, he's walking on the word, come. And he's, he's there in faith, but then he got distracted by the storm around him and he began to sink. And that's what happens. So please don't miss this because this may hit more home than what you realize. So sometimes people are like, man, I've, I've gone off my medication. I've stepped out in faith and, and I'm doing really good. And, and they, they know they've been healed. God has touched them and they know it. But they'll sit next to the wrong person. It's like, oh, wait a second. Let me tell you, you better be careful with that. And they'll say, but all kinds of fear, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of unbelief in them. And next thing you know, they're back in sickness again. They're back in the same situation they were before they were healed. 
be careful that you're not used of the devil to steal somebody's miracle and steal the testimony that God has for them. I've seen it happen. All right, so be careful about being around the wrong people, listening to the wrong voices. My wife and I have been through some pretty difficult things, but much of it most people probably have never known, never heard at all, because when we're going through stuff, we're very, very careful about who we talk to because, and she knows, we've talked about this in depth, because we only want people that have faith and people that are going to speak faith And a lot of times, we don't share it with everybody. So, uh, anyway, and not to mention what people say that aren't in faith, next thing you know, their their words can be like word curses, and and it's fear-based, and they're they're trying to, they don't mean to, but they're hindering what God's doing. So just be careful that you only are going to share with people what you know that they're going to have faith with you for. And they're going to stand with you in faith, not speaking other things. Oh, well, you need to do this. You need to No, They have faith with you for the supernatural miracle that you know that God is doing. And then also be careful with this fighting the good fight of faith that our hearts change from a fearful heart that's out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks that a fearful heart that's always speaking things It's like I said, I've said this from the beginning of this series. You just sit back and listen. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you could, let's take a different example. You, you look, you listen to somebody that's bitter and what are they, what are they talking about? The people that's wronged them. And I've sat with people at lunch and listened and they go on and on. I know they've been hurt, but they need to let it go. And and they just keep on and on to the point that it kind of gets annoying because they just keep talking about the wrong that people done them and stuff. And that's out of a bitter heart and they need to let it go and they need to move on. Amen. So there's a lot of things like that in the heart that will come out of the mouth. Well, fear. Next thing you know, all you hear talking about is the medical and all this, what the doctors are saying. And it's all about that. That's all they talk about. That's it. You will never hear anything about real, true, biblical faith. But other people that's really in faith, when you get around them, you really don't hear any of that other stuff. You're hearing them talking about what the Lord is doing, what the Lord is saying, and and, and they're really in faith. And you can tell because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, you know, that's why Jesus said, speak to the mountain. But at first, what did he say? He said, if you'll believe in your heart... And you don't doubt what you say will happen. You can speak to the mountain, it'll move. But see, Jesus is trying to show us that what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. All right, and then the the fourth thing I would say is this. The world is so negative that we need to see our situation in the light of the victory of the cross. Okay, so look this way and listen to what I'm saying. The world is so negative that we have to discipline ourselves to really see whatever situation we're in, it, we have to see it in light of what Jesus has paid for at the cross. Whatever it is, if you're dealing with financial problems, and we, you know, we've all been in ups and downs, how many have been in really good situations financially? 
How many have also been in really difficult times where you, you really had to pray and believe God? So whatever you're going through in life, that we see it in light of the scriptures and what Jesus paid for, because this world system that we live in tends to be so negative. And if we're not careful, we can listen. How many knows that it doesn't take much? You, you listen to the media, you listen to the news, you listen to your neighbors, you listen to your coworkers. How many knows that by and large, this world is pretty negative? So you have to discipline yourself to see things in light of the promises of God. And that's really going to come out of a really powerful prayer life. And the question is, why some people aren't necessarily always healed? You know, we've seen a lot of miracles through the years. But why? And this is the answer that I was reading through that book that T.L. Osborne wrote about healing. And he, and he gave a really good response, and I agree with him. He says a lot of times it's because of the lack of teaching on faith and healing. And therefore, the people don't have faith because they haven't been taught. You know, I was just listening the other day uh, to Perry Stone. How many of you guys love Brother Perry? He's always got a good word. And he was saying that, he was saying that back in the 80s that there was a powerful move. It might have been a little before that, but a powerful move of teaching and there were those that were really bringing forth the word of faith and they were talking about believing that you have received it. And really it's Kenneth Hagin taught that and, and having faith for things. And he said that it was powerful and they were backing up what they were teaching with scripture. But then he said that, you know, different people in his particular denomination, this is what he was saying. He said that you would hear him that they were teaching against that, but he said they were never giving any scripture to back it up. They were just being critical. Let me tell you, you better be careful with that because how many knows that what you believe in your heart and speak out of your mouth is what you're going to have? Now, I remember telling my wife about that one time because, you know, Sandy just very just simplistic in her faith. You know, she just loves Jesus. She doesn't really care about who's, um, who's who in the charismatic zoo. You know the saying about who's... Do you know what I mean by that? Like who's the big name and who's the little guy and all that. She really doesn't care when I say that. I mean that like for real, doesn't care. And, you know, just talking about different things through the years. And, and I remember just saying to her one time about, I'll be careful because she did not know how bad it really was sometimes out there. And so many people are so negative and critical about the faith teaching in general, whether it's about healing or whatever. <clears throat> now I was just telling her because she was wanting to post something or say something. I said, well, you know, just be ready for a, a situation to arise anyway. And she said, well, what? They don't want to be healed or something? I mean, she didn't understand the mindset of people. But I'm telling you, there's, there's a religious spirit that wants to rise up and go against the faith teaching of, like I'm preaching tonight. And it's weird. It's like, why don't people just want to look at the cross and see that Jesus paid for their healing on that cross, just like he did their sin. He paid for them to, to be able to have their financial needs met. To, you know what I'm saying? Everything that we need was paid for at the cross. Why in the world would you not want to see that? And why would you not want to believe that and apply that to your life? But they don't. 
And it's a lot of it is rooted in what I've mentioned already, cessationism, which is a heresy. It's a doctrine that teaches that when the last apostle died, all the supernatural died with them. How many knows that is ridiculous? And those that teach that, you're going to give an account on Judgment Day. I'm just telling you. You're a false teacher. All right, so Hosea 4, 6. Why aren't everybody healed? Well, the Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, this is talking about the little g. It's talking about Satan and what he got from Adam at the fall. But the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. There is an aspect here, even among the religious, of something trying to blind people's minds and them not really having knowledge that they need from the Scripture to get what God has for them. How many were at one time in a particular denomination, group, church, ministry, whatever, but then you came out of that and you got around the power of God and different teaching, and since then, you've experienced a miracle. How many have, have experienced that? You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've experienced a healing, been delivered from something. Why? Because you got around somebody or a group of people that simply believe the Bible. And that's what I've always loved about ministering like to young people or new believers is that they haven't been messed up by the church yet. And so you can just go in there and just open your Bible up and read it and tell them what it says. And you know what? They just believe it. And so then you're like, here we go. We're going to go through and we're going to start praying for people. Next thing you know, there's miracles like crazy happen. Why? Because they just believe it. They haven't got around the religious yet that's told them all this false doctrine and weird stuff that infests their little minds and ruins them where they can't receive from God. So we're in a real battle, but it's fighting a good fight of faith in what the Bible says. So why are some people not healed? Number one, as I've already mentioned, the lack of teaching on faith that produces uh, faith in the heart. So faith comes by hearing when you preach this way, it gives people faith. Not just mental agreement, not just an emotional hype, it produces heart faith. Number two, people haven't necessarily, why are some people not healed? Some people have not really gotten the word down in their spirit. It's just an intellectual agreement, but it's not really in their spirit yet. How do you get it in your spirit? Meditate on it. You know, say it out loud on a daily basis. Read it over and over. You get it out of just your head down into your spirit, and that produces true heart faith. Number three, why are some people not healed? People sometimes don't understand the spiritual warfare around them. And so they're not discerning the enemy's tactics. See, a lot of times people have been taught such goofy stuff. Listen, Jesus said this. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Who came to do that? Satan. Let's say it again. Who came to steal, kill, and destroy? Satan. And then, but here's what some goofy teachers teach. They teach people that when they're going through the, those type of things where things are being stolen and destroyed and sickness and all this, and they teach them as though, well, God's doing it or God is allowing it, whatever. They present it in a way like it's God. 
When you understand that it's not God that's doing that or putting that on you, it's the devil, then you can actually get mad at the right person. And then you can be like, all right, that's it. In Jesus' name, get out. And you start taking authority over the enemy, and then you start getting a breakthrough. But as long as people think that it's God and it's God's will, they're going to accept it. So they need to properly understand what's actually going on. Satan is the one destroying families. Satan is the one destroying marriages. Satan is the one, the spirit of things like rebellion and such is after young people. It's the devil. And if you understand, Satan is the one that's behind sickness. And he's the one behind premature death. And he's the one behind lack where you don't can't pay your bills. How many knows that's not God? And that's not the will of God. He wants us to be able to prosper financially so that we can be, our needs met, but then we can help other people. We can help the church. We can give when somebody's in need. We can help them. God doesn't want people so beat down in their health and in their finances that they can't do anything for God. That's not the will of God. But I'll tell you who's behind that, Satan. Because he knows if he can beat people down in their health and in their finances and in their marriage, he knows that he can keep them in a place to where they really can't do much for God. They're hindered. And then the fourth reason, why are some people not healed? Complicated legal ground issues. Now let me tell you about that. Sometimes people need to pray and fast and hear from God about what is blocking my answered prayer and whenever they fast and pray god will show them something that maybe they didn't realize and let me give you a quick story about it this lady true story she was in church and she had breast cancer and she was sitting there praying and worshiping and she was asking the lord about her healing and the lord spoke to her how many knows sometimes we just need to hear from god and she said that the Lord brought a face to her mind of a person that had really hurt her years ago. She had forgotten about him, but she never forgave him. She just forgot about the whole thing. And so she said that the Lord showed her, if you'll forgive everybody, I'll heal you. She forgave the person and anybody else she needed to. And did you know God supernaturally healed her? It was gone. That was blocking her answered prayer. So it could be any number of things. It can be generational curses. It could be something else. But time does not forgive sin. I think a lot of times people think what happened a long time ago, what does that really have to do with anything? Just because it happened 30 years ago, if you have not asked God's forgiveness, it remains. Does that make sense? Time doesn't forgive sin. The blood of Jesus washes away sin. But we have to confess it unto God. And I think sometimes people have things locked up in their lives and hindered because they haven't really taken the time. I think some of the best advice I've ever heard was this. Get out a piece of paper and really seek God to bring to your mind every single person you need to forgive and write them down on a piece of paper. Get another piece of paper and ask God, bring everything to my mind that I need to confess a sin, write it all down, leave nothing out, and then go through that paper and forgive everybody and confess every possible sin and believe it to be done. From that point on, I guarantee you that prayers will start being answered in your life. Now let me add this. So let me just backtrack over this. So the lack of teaching, people haven't got the word in their spirit. We need that. 
Also, they don't understand the warfare around them. Don't blame God for what the devil's doing ever again. If you're struggling in an area of your life, I guarantee you God's not up there doing it. The devil's doing it. And then number four, complicated legal ground. Sometimes you're like, what is the deal? Ask the Lord, he will show you. And then you can clear that away. All right, so now let's move to the next point. The power of prayer mixed with fasting. This is so significant. Fighting the fight of faith. How many knows that God can do anything that he... And the Bible says this, that all things are possible to him that believes. I remember hearing a story of this wonderful man of God I love that was, uh, he's a missionary out in Mexico, out in the jungles out there. And he said that he got in a situation where he had never seen anything like this before up to this point. But he was stuck in this hut and this child had died. And he's praying for a dead child that God bring him back. And he said, this is a difficult situation because he had never seen that type of a miracle up to this point. He said, I did not have other people praying with me. He said, I'll tell you what I didn't have. I didn't have worship music going. I wasn't in a church service. He said, but what I did have, he said, I did have a witch doctor staring at me. And I had a black magic warlock over here chanting. And he said, all I had was me and Jesus. And he sat there and prayed for this kid. And he said, all of a sudden, he saw his shirt pop like that. And then the kid started breathing, came back to life. But here's the result of that. Not only did the kid come back, but that whole village was open to the gospel after that, you see. So he had to really walk in faith. And he's got a lot of stories where he went into really dark places with the gospel and God showed up in power. How many knows that God, if we will believe him, God will show up in power. God is interested in saving and healing and delivering people. Amen. But we've got to believe him for it. All right, another thing is mixing and fasting. So Matthew seventeen nineteen. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Now, do you remember the story? Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. The other disciples were down there. And there was a man that had a child that was having seizures. So like epilepsy or something. But it was a demon causing it. And the spirit of, I, I believe personally, a spirit of death, because it was trying to kill him. This spirit would cause a seizure and, and it would cause him to fall into a fire or fall into water to drown him. It was trying to kill him. And so he brought the, his son to the disciples down there and he was saying to, to get his son healed and delivered and the disciples couldn't get a breakthrough. And so Jesus had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration with those that were with him and he walks down to them where they're at and his disciples come up to him and say privately... I just hear him kind of a low whisper, you know, Jesus, why could we not get rid of this spirit? Because these are the same people that Jesus sent out two by two. Remember that? And they were seeing all these deliverances and healings. This is a really good question that they're asking. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you'll say this mountain be moved from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible. But, but listen to what he said here. But this kind, he's talking about a demonic spirit in this kid's life, and I believe a spirit of death. This kind does not go out except by by prayer and fasting. So prayer and fasting seem to help us have our faith where it needs to be. 
But I believe it seems to also, from my experience down through the years with prayer and fasting, it seems to also weaken the enemy. But regardless of whatever is going on, we know that fasting is powerful and plays a role in people being delivered and healed. In fact, it says in Isaiah 58, verse 8, when it talks about fasting, he said, Isaiah said, is this not the fast I've chosen for you? That you'll do this and the other. And then he said this. One of the promises was this. Then your light shall break forth as the morning. And what? Your healing shall spring forth quickly. And that's the same reference in a different way. I believe in Malachi where it says that the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And in the Hebrew, the it, it, it reads rays of light. So healing in his wings reads like rays of light. And so that's the same thing this is saying here. So it seems like prayer and fasting help healing to break forth and it releases God's rays of light to bring healing. So here's what we've got to do. We've got to understand the war that we're actually in is a fight of faith. So it's not a frustration, it's not how loud you yell, it's not a lot of the things people think it is. It is a strong faith in the Word of God that we are releasing the Word of God into that situation by faith. And that's what Jesus did when he was confronted by Satan. What did Jesus do? He didn't argue with the devil in all these different theological debates and all these other things. Jesus simply quoted the Scripture at him. And it was a fight of faith. And the Lord released the word of God into the situation. So, number one, we need to declare war on sickness and lack that it's an enemy. That's bottom line. That anything to do with sickness and not having enough to meet your needs in life, it is an enemy. And we need to declare war against the enemy that Satan has come to steal. That's lack. Whenever something is stolen from you, it's something that you need that's been taken away. So you need to pay your bills and buy groceries. Okay? When it's not there, the devil stole it. Because the Bible talks about for us as believers that we're supposed to have uh, our needs met. God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, right? Our needs are supposed to be met. So who did Jesus say was the thief, the devil? Secondly, war on sickness. God is not up there putting sickness on his people. The devil's doing that. He says he's come to steal and to kill. That part, the kill part, has to do with him attacking your health to try to hinder you. And he would love to kill you if he could, okay? But he is resisting you, okay? And destroy, destruction has to do, I I view it as destroying marriages, destroying families, destroying careers, destroying reputation. It's a destroyer. How many knows that's not God's activity? When we discern the enemy, we need to declare war on sickness and lack and destruction and drive it out. Number two, we need to take authority over demon powers. It's the enemy doing this. I've seen so many times through the years where when we took authority over the enemy and specifically discerned what was coming against us, 
things begin to change. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I told my daughter about, I feel like there's such and such going on. Let's specifically take authority over that. Did we not? And she said, after we did that, things changed. You've got to discern whatever it is that's coming against you. There's assignments. If you're going to be a threat to the devil, you know, Steve Hill told me this, him and I together speaking into my life. And he said, look, I know you want souls. And he told me this. He said, I really feel like God does have a harvest of souls for you. And I know you want souls and you want a move of God. But he said, I'm telling you, when you start taking away Satan's little soldiers from him and you start getting all these people saved, he said, I promise you, Satan is not just going to take that laying down. You better be ready for a war. So if you're going to be a threat to the enemy and you're going after revival, a harvest of souls, and you're believing God for Book of Acts Christianity, you better believe that the enemy is going to release assignments against you. I'll tell you one of the number one things he's going to come against you is your marriage. Don't ever forget that. That is number one battleground because if he can get your home out of order or divided, that's a big door for a lot of other things to start coming in. The second thing he's going to come after, he's going to try to shut down finances and support. And he's also going to try to attack health. Those three areas, to steal, kill, and destroy. So you're going to have to take a strong stand against the enemy. And what Jesus paid for you to have on the cross, you've got to know the word, you've got to believe the word, and you've got to speak the word, and you've got to command the enemy to go in Jesus' name and quote the scriptures against him. That's the sword of the spirit. And number three, we need to destroy the works of Satan. There's strongholds that need to be destroyed and brought down. The last couple points I want to make is this, persistence in prayer. In John 10, 10, as I've already quoted many times, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Christ is the one that brings life and abundant life, okay? So we've got to have persistence in prayer to pray it through. If people ever get to a place to where they give up and they say, well, I guess it's God's will for this stealing and killing and destroying and all that, and they accept it, you better be careful because that it's not like that's just going to go away. I had a, a dear friend in the ministry, and he's still serving the Lord. And he told me this one time, he said, I went through a season in my life where it seemed like something pounced on me against me and my family in the ministry. And he said, I could hardly think straight. I could hardly pray. He said it was very difficult to even feel God's presence. It just came out of nowhere. He said it was very depressing and I, I couldn't shake it. And I've, I, I've, I've gone through warfare like that myself so I could relate but he was saying that he went through this horrible battle. And this is what he told me. He said, I made a mistake because I finally got tired of dealing with it. And I reasoned to myself, if I just get out of the ministry and just get away from all this, then the devil will leave me alone and this will go away. You know, And other ministers told him, don't do it, man. But he did. He got out of the ministry. And he said that after he got out of the ministry, this is what he said. He, we were eating together. He kind of leaned forward and said, it got worse. And he said it took a long time to get on the other side of it. And he said then when I tried to get back in the ministry, he said it was very difficult because I had to start back from nothing. You know, it would have been better 
to just stand your ground and push back the enemy. But sometimes you've got to get a group of people praying and fasting and, and you've got to be open about what you're going through, but be careful who you tell. But you've got to get some other people praying with you because you're coming up against like principalities and powers and things like that. And it can really be oppressive. How many knows what I'm talking about? All right, so Daniel, with that said, Daniel 10, 12. Gabriel came to Daniel from that 21-day fast. And then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. This is the angel Gabriel speaking to Daniel here. Do not be afraid. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand this and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come because of those words. So that was a 21-day fast, okay? But he said, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is a principality over Persia, withstood me 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the latter days. For the vision is yet for many days. So Daniel recognized, Gabriel showed him, that there was a spiritual battle that was going on in the heavens. And I know many times people that are Christians will pray about things and they don't really realize that if you're very sincere if you're really living a righteous life before God and you're really sincere and you earnestly are praying about things, I don't think that any of us really understand how actually powerful that really is. That the enemy knows, man, they, we better get them out of prayer. Your prayers are a lot more powerful than you realize. In James, it talks about the effectual fervent prayer, but the Amplified Classic says the heartfelt persistent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Your prayers can be awesome, powerful if you'll believe. And here's Daniel, one guy praying, and it involved nations and principalities. Think about that. One guy's prayers was affecting nations, and it was in the realm of principalities that were fighting it. It took Michael coming to break through one man's prayers. So we've got to have persistence in prayer because when we start praying about something, God hears us, but how many knows it can be sometimes a while, even years before you actually see everything change. I don't know why some things take so long. That's not something that I really care for. I'm sure you don't either, but still sometimes things do take some time. And so we have to have persistence in prayer. That's why Jesus said, pray and don't give up. But realize it is God's will. Your sins are forgiven and you are healed. That's the will of God for you and your family. And number two, realize that Satan is the one that's hindering your health and finances and trying to destroy your relationships, okay? So just like Daniel prayed, Daniel could have thought to himself, well, I guess it wasn't God's will or God didn't hear me. But he didn't do that. He knew that if he prayed about it, that God heard him and it was the will of God to reveal things to him. But what happened was there was spiritual warfare resisting the answer. And the last point I want to touch on is this. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's the truth that we've got to lay hold of here. We're fighting the fight of faith But how do we have faith? We have to have faith by knowing 
the Word of God. Once we really get the Word of God in us and we really know it, there's going to be a faith to believe God for things. But again, be careful who you share things with. If you're, if you're really believing God for something that only God can do, and you're standing in faith about it, and you, you may share it with a few other people that you know will believe, and they will pray with faith, and they will speak faith with you, yet you need those people. But it's better to have just a couple people agreeing with you like that. When Jesus raised the girl from the dead, how many people were in the room? Just two or three, right? That's all he needed. You don't necessarily need a lot of people. And you better be careful sharing things with the wrong people or to too many people because all of a sudden you're going to get this, all these voices of why it's not going to happen and how you need to be careful with that and all this negative garbage. And it can steal your faith and your miracle. All right, so this is what Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty four: Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is like him to liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock let me remember this story this parable rather the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house it did not fall for it was founded on a rock we need a good foundation but verse 26 everyone who hears these things in mind and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on sand when the rain rains descended the floods came the winds blew and beat the house it fell And its fall was great. So whether it was a wise or foolish man here, both of them experienced the rain and the storms. How many have been through storms in life? So whether, you know, your life, however you are sincere about your faith and other people are not or whatever, we all go through times of storms in life. But here's the key. The wise person had built their house on a, a rock of God's word. But it wasn't just knowing it. It was like obeying it, applying it to your life. That's what he's saying. He said those that built on a rock, he says this. The floods came, but he says it's like in the hymn who built his house on a rock because he hears the word, but he obeys, he applies it, he does it. Okay. So it's not just hearing it alone, but it's living it out. You remember James said that somebody that hears the word but does not do it is like somebody that looks at themselves in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like immediately. We have to have the wisdom to be hearers and doers of the word, applying it to our lives. So hearing it produces faith. But then applying the word to your life is actually like a rock foundation. Let me give just one quick example about that. We know all of us here, by and large, I think everybody in River of Life, for the most part, are faithful in your tithes and offerings, okay? So this is just a word of encouragement. But you hear the word about tithing, that God will what rebuke the devourer, open the heavens, pour out blessings, etc. And we've all experienced God's taking care of us. But everybody's a tither, okay? So here's, I can get up and I can preach on tithing. You hear it, you believe it, but are you going to actually do it? That's what Jesus is saying here. Those that hear these words of mine and put them into practice have built their house on a rock. 
So practically, Satan shows up to just, I mean, attack your finances. But you've built your house on the rock that you're faithful in your tithes and offerings. And you can stand on the word of God in your heart and speak it out. Lord, I'm a tither. Therefore, you're rebuking this devourer. You're driving the enemy out of my finances. And the windows of heaven are open. Your blessings are poured out in my life. Therefore, I command the enemy to be bound and get out of my finances. And because your house is built on the rock, the storms may come, but they cannot take your house completely down. But somebody that hears the word and does not do it is built on sand. And next thing you know, the, the same storms come to them like come to everybody else. They've heard the word and they know it, but they're not living it. Therefore, their house is only on sand. So when the storms come, they may actually experience some destruction because they don't have the word that they can stand on in faith. Does that make sense? But it applies to every area of life. Believe me, it's not just finances. We've got to line our lives up with obeying what the Bible says, not just hearing it, but living it out. Okay, so also it is, did you ever think about this? It is a reward for Christ's suffering when you receive your miracle. When somebody is saved, how many knows that is a reward for Christ's suffering when they're saved? But also when you're healed, it's also a reward for Christ's suffering because he took uh, stripes on his back and it wasn't just a whip. I mean, it plowed his back open. He paid a dear price for our healing. And when we receive that healing, it is a reward for his suffering. Same thing with deliverance or whatever else. Jesus paid a dear price for us. And when we receive that, it is a reward for what he went through. All right, so the last thing, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a self-control or sound mind. So God has not given us a spirit of fear. The enemy many times to really living in faith is fear. People start to step out in faith. They'll put a foot forward in faith, but they won't lift that other foot up out of fear. They're always wanting to have a crutch, something they can hold on to. Where they're never truly going to step completely out in faith. It's like always living in limbo like Peter where I know he went all the way out on the water, but let's just say Peter put one foot on the water and kept one in the boat. That's how some people live their entire life. They never truly completely step out in faith, fully believing God for something. Instead, they always have that crutch that, well, if it doesn't happen, you know, I'll, they always have this plan B. And they really lean on that more than anything else. I'll dip my toes in the water, but I'm really leaning on this left foot here, my plan B. That's not living in faith. That's living in some kind of fear. Amen? So God's wanting us to live a life of faith. Now, my, my dear friend, Brother Benny, one time, I was going through a, a challenging time, and I, I called him, and I was like, Brother... I just wanted somebody with faith to believe with me. And I want you to agree with me over the phone. And I was telling him something going on, and he said, Man, brother, with that going on, something must really be about to break forth for you. I said, Amen. 
Now let's pray. And so he, he was praying with me, but he said, he said, brother, he said, listen, you live this way and that way. Your life's a life of faith. And he said, I know I, I'm in the same boat. We have to believe God or we're, we're in trouble, you know, because we choose to live a life of faith. But he said this, he was encouraging me that my wife and I are tithers and we're givers. And, and we were going through something and he told me, he said, brother, stand on that because you have sown your seed. And God, and you know what? God did do it. God came through. I just want somebody with faith to agree with me. Amen. To agree on earth, it'll be done. And, but he was all encouraging me in my faith. To believe God because we had already been living the right way in that area. Okay, so let me close with this statement. Don't forget this statement. Because there may be swirls of doubt sometimes and fear. I'm convinced that people that have never stepped out to the degree that you were a little afraid. (laughs) You've never really stepped out in faith. Because if you really step out in faith, your mind is going to wrestle with you. Your emotions sometimes are going to get stirred. It is not a complete absence of these things. It's just that you're stepping out in faith anyway. Because your your humanity is going to kind of get in the way sometimes. Your humanity is going to be, while you're stepping out in faith, your, mind, your own mind's going to be telling you, what are you doing, man? And you're going to have to step out in faith anyway and just go for it because God said to do it. But this is what I would close with this. Faith in your heart will work even with doubt and fears in your head. Think about that. Don't beat yourself up. You're human. Your mind sometimes is going to be the battleground, but you've got to just ignore that and focus on what God said and let your heart rest in that. Some of the, and this is the truth for me, some of the greatest miracles I've seen, I had to fight doubt and fear in my mind. And my wife and I, she'll know what I'm talking about, nobody else will, but we had to step out of faith in the past. And I felt when we did, I knew God was moving. I knew it. And my my own stomach, my belly kind of turned because I knew something big was happening. But I was also afraid about some of the, the stuff that was swirling and going on. And it was just crazy. But at the same time, I kept going forward in faith. We did. We just kept going forward in faith. And we would just have to believe God one day to the next. The next day, and it was just every time we stayed in faith and we would speak faith and we wouldn't get in doubt for an unbelief. My mind wrestled with some fears and all that. And then we saw one miracle happen. Then the next miracle happened. This happened even though we we were like, wow, we didn't even know that. But yet it happened anyway. We didn't even know this was going on, but God did. And he brought this over here. Everything fell into place. And eventually now it's a testimony. But it's a lot like walking on the water, isn't it? That's in the Bible for a reason. God wanted to make sure that story got in the Bible. Because every one of us, at some point, are going to be faced with, just like Peter, where we're going to be sitting there in the boat and the storm is raging. And Jesus is going to say, come here. And you're going to have to decide. Faith is a decision. You're going to have to decide, am I going to believe Jesus and step out in this water with him? Or am I just going to stay on the boat? 
So faith is deep in your spirit. It's not in your head. It's not a soulish thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's not mental and emotional. It's spiritual. So don't forget that statement because I'm hoping that these sermons strengthen your faith. But at the same time as a pastor, I don't want people to beat themselves up because you're wrestling your own humanity. God knows that your mind is going to have some doubt sometimes. God knows that your emotions are going to wrestle you sometimes. But your faith in God is bigger than those things and is anchored deep down in your spirit that even when the storms come, if you'll just keep moving forward toward Jesus and what he said, just like Peter, Jesus, he asked the Lord. He didn't move in pride and presumption. He wanted to know, Lord, shall I come to you? And Jesus said, come. And once he got that word from the Lord, he knew I got to step out here with him in this. And he wasn't standing on water. He was standing on the word that Jesus said, come. And that word held him up supernaturally until he got out of faith. And then he started sinking. So, Lord, we close this out by prayer tonight. Help us, Lord. That we understand that this fight is a fight of faith. It's a fight of faith in what the Bible promises. The Bible says about generations. He said, I will bless a thousand generations of them that love me. There's generational blessings. There's, there's, there's generational activity where God is wanting to save your children and grandchildren. That, that, that God is actively at work in their life. But we have to have faith and lay hold of that. And we also have to lay hold of the other promises of God about health and finances, etc. But throughout life, there's going to be things that we've got to lay hold of. What does the Bible say about my situation right here? And then we lay hold of that and believe God and pray it through. And so, Lord, help us that we learn to live by faith and lay hold of the promises of God with stubbornness and tenacity and not let go until we get on the other side of it and have a testimony of God's goodness. Lord, we thank you for it. Let this be sealed tonight and everything accomplished in it through this word tonight that you will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, while she's closing that out, let me just say this and then we're going to pray. But I want everybody to hear what I'm saying, okay? Did you know that the great Azusa Street revival, William Seymour was used of God, you know? But did you know whenever he first went to Los Angeles and he began to preach? that he himself had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues. But he still preached it as though he had. I mean, he had 100% faith that it was God and that it was the will of God and he preached it with confidence. And then when the Holy Spirit fell and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and everybody else was, then the greatest Susan Street revival broke out. People started coming to see the, the bunch, you know, tongue talkers and all that. But listen... It started with a guy that had not even experienced it himself. So keep that in mind. Don't ever let what, what you believe and what you speak and what you preach and what you teach be dictated by your own personal experiences because that's not doctrine. You believe what the Bible says even if you haven't seen it yet because it's still the word of God. It doesn't matter what it is. If God said it, it's done. doesn't matter if you've experienced it or not. And if you'll believe it like William Seymour did, you will experience it. Amen. All right, so I want to go through. I, I feel to pray for people. And I want River of Life. How many of you guys are prayer warriors? I want you to remember this. 
prayer warriors and intercessors. Brianna saw that key, but the tip of the key was a fire. Listen, the key to a lot of things is revival fire. I want you to agree with me that God turn up the fire in River of Life and that that fire will start getting in people's hearts like never before and rekindle the flame. And some people that have never had the fire of God in their hearts and haven't had that experience and that transformation, they will experience it for the first time. Others that maybe have just simply gotten in a dry place or grown cold, that God will rekindle the fire. How many will believe with me for that? That's an easy thing for all of us to remember. God, turn up the heat. Set us ablaze again in Jesus' name. All right, she's going to put on some worship. We need to go ahead and move the chairs. I'm going to go through and pray with people.